I'm curious, man, as a uh, as a son of a clinical psychologist, what exactly is a business Ooh. psychologist? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I got my master's in business psychology, and I basically explain it this way. It's kind of like getting an MBA, so master's of business administration, except it's for humans, because... It, I took things like managerial psychology and psychology of marketing and psychology of HR, psychology of creativity, like all the things you normally take from an MBA, but it's all human-focused. And all of your customers, unless aliens come here, all your customers are going to be human. So I thought it made sense. Oh, okay. Okay. And it makes sense that uh, you writing a book is even writing all these term papers uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and everything on, on the road, but it lo- looks like a great book, Dichotomies, Lessons from a College Life on Tour, writing a book while you're on the road the entire time. Yeah. Actually, to be fair, I was at home, in, well, at home here in Toronto area with my girlfriend, uh, not actually on tour when I wrote it, but all the stories and everything are from being on the road. I guess I sort of lied with the title. <laughs> a little misleading, I w- I, but I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> just assuming that you were just a rock drummer, like, did you do any, like, writing or any preparation before trying to author a book? But you've been authoring term papers, so you're into the writing flow of things. Right, right. That's been my habit. It now for I guess I was in school for six years and college for six years pursuing it all. So uh, admittedly, that's a little more you know academic paper, a little more dry and everything. I tried to liven it up with uh, the book of this and tell some crazy tour stories about how gross it is sometimes. <laughs> And ultimately, what I see as the uh, the big help for ever, anyone to read this book would really be time management. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, that's one thing that a lot of people who have read it already have been telling me. Like, you need a follow-up book just on time management. So I'm like, hmm, you know, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Time management, the sequel, part two. Yeah, that's right. Part two. <laughs> I was uh, I was looking forward to talking to you and, and was going to talk to you about tour dates, but you have none. What the hell is going on, man? Yeah, so there's two you know elements to that. One is that we have a show that... I want to announce, but it's still kind of in the works. A couple of things got kind of goofy, but that's our, our buddy's show that he's putting together with a bunch of uh, local bands in Virginia. He's setting the whole thing up, but his drummer got his ankle broken or something like that, so they're still trying to iron out the details. And then secondly, we are kind of stepping away from you know massive tours for a bit to focus on just doing weekends regionally, things like that, and then flying out for certain shows like the one in Virginia or Delaware or whatever it is, I forget. And also doing more streaming content because we've been doing that lately on Twitch on not every Thursday, but a lot of Thursdays. Ah, okay. um, Just find something new. That way we can reach people all over the globe all at once because it's an efficient way to play for people. And Josh made it, Josh, our guitarist and audio engineer, he made it sound actually really good. So it sounds pretty decent. That way the world can watch you on the web. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's the goal. And then we like answer, not, not really questions necessarily, but those comments floating in while we're performing and we'll have little noises like sound effects like popping up and everything while we're playing it's kind of distracting but in a funny way because if we screw up then it's like it's funny and they make fun of us and then we yell at us (laughs) do you ever make it out to the nam convention i think it was 2012 something like that i was with my buddy turf who actually lives in la now we're in a band together called debtors just a two-piece crazy metal group but i went out with uh there with him just uh to meet some of my endorsees, I guess it would be called, uh, like Zildjian and Evans and people like that, because I'd been working with them for years, but right. I had never actually met most of them. So I got to got to meet a bunch of people, and it was insane. There were so many people at that crazy event. Yeah, it's a it's a circus, I almost, man. I almost bumped into Fieldy from Corn, and I recognized him, and I think he's like, oh god, another one. 
So I didn't <laughs> talk to him because I'm like, I'm not trying to pester the guy. <laughs> yeah, you see it's like all funny. these all these big dogs like that, like walking through with like, you know, security guards in front and on the side yeah. behind them. It's crazy. Fielding, you looked a little bit lost. <laughs> Let me ask you a, uh, a philosophical question as a drummer. Yeah, let's do it. Are you making time or are you keeping time? Ooh, I think that depends on the type of music you're doing. So if it's like industrial or electronic or something, I would say you're keeping time in that uh, scenario because you got to be right on the beat because everything needs to line up in a really strong mechanical way. But if it's more, let's say, funk or even a lot of metal stuff that we do, I usually don't record to a metronome. I just make the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say for us, usually it's making time unless it's like a parody or cover or something like that. Then I usually play to a clip. But uh, it all kind of depends on the, the style, for sure. And who was the guy that made you pick up the drumsticks? Who, who was the, the big influence? It, like, for me, I know as a kid, when I played, it was like Tommy Lee was the guy I looked up to oh, kind of yeah. going. But <laughs> how about how about for yourself? For me, it was the soft concert. And I, I was playing drums for a little bit before that, just for fun. And I had a Neil Peart VHS, like a drumming video from Test Pareco, that album. But when I went to my first concert, it was 1999 in Arizona, Glendale, I think, Phoenix area. And Primus was there. And after I saw Brain on stage with Primus. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And then we started Psychostick the next year. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it was Brain, dude. Like, even that. <laughs> and Primus actually does make perfect sense when you stop and think about it. They, they're definitely wear their sense of humor on their sleeve like you guys do. Absolutely. I mean, they have a lot, like, uh, a lot of really deep themes, but it doesn't seem like it when they're talking about puppies and whatnot. But they absolutely do. They, they do a lot of really funny songs. There's usually a double entendre mixed in there somehow. That's cool. Yeah, I just saw them on the uh, final Slayer tour. They were uh, they were going on right before oh, Slayer. Right. They were direct support. I forgot about that. That's so cool. Like that's quite a lineup. It's kind of like us. We don't really fit with anyone, so we kind of fit with everyone. Sort of that idea. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird to go from from that music to Slayer, but it it kind of <laughs> cleansed the palate after you know it was Phil Anselmo and Ministry before that. So it kind of Primus was oh, it a, a, a nice diversion from that, and then back to the you know the blast beats and and the heavy with uh, Slayer. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I saw Slayer back in, like, 2000, I think. It was the Tattoo of Europe convention. They were right before Slipknot, and when Slayer was about to go on, no joke, this is the middle of the desert in Arizona in August. A huge, like, insane storm. There's, like, full cloud cover just came out of nowhere. So it's, like, dark, <laughs> ominous clouds. The whole Slayer set, as soon as they were done, it dissipated, and then Slipknot played. Like, that was... That's how it was. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Rain because the two times I saw Slayer on their farewell tour, the first date of the tour and then the last date of the tour, it rained both those times in Southern California. There's something to that, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, let me ask you, uh, Doctor, uh, should we as as music fans uh, believe Slayer now that they're saying that they're done and they're, or are they going to do a Motley Crew on us and be back in a few years? What do you think? Ooh. Uh. I would imagine that they might be done in the sense that, you know, world tours, I mean, touring is exhausting. It's just there's no way around it, even with the bus. Like, it's a crazy schedule. But I would not be surprised if they came back to do, like, shows every once in a while on, a, like, a like a part-time basis. If you, call, if you thought of it that way, I would not be surprised if Slayer came back on a part-time basis. The world tours, they're, I imagine they're very tiring. <laughs> what, do you think, like, Motley Crue, kind of same thing, like, four or five years off and then come back and then just do a couple select shows? 
shows. Yeah, or even if they did a tour where, you know, they might be out for a couple months, but you're only playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you have, like, four days off to go see the city or whatever, like, see a country with your family or, or something like that. I mean, they can afford that. But that might be an easier, you know, that way they could tour and, and get in front of their fans again, but not have it be grueling and want to just hibernate after you're done. As music fans, should we ever believe another band ever again when they say, oh, this is it, this is our farewell tour, this is, we're calling it quits? I mean, should we, as rock fans, ever believe anyone ever again? Um, I think you should probably believe Morrissey that the Smiths are not going to get back together. <laughs> Some bands are just so incredibly dysfunctional that unless they're like completely broke and there's nothing else they can do, I mean, basically you're married to a group of people and you have to live together and perform together. You're always around the same group of people. So sometimes if they're not getting along anymore, I mean, I, I guess I would believe them if they're, you know, just kind of sick of it but for most fans they say they're done and then they come back and it's just this, this heart-wrenching process over and over so I don't believe most of them I'm always like eh, we'll see in a few years we'll see how it goes yeah I think I think they're all lying to us now that's my stance when anyone, <laughs> anyone says farewell yeah right you'll be back that's right you'll be back Hey, I did have one uh, musical idea that I wanted to run by you, mm-hmm. being in Psycho Stick, since you kind of introduced the world to, to beer and reminded everybody that beer is good and stuff back in uh, 2006. You know, yeah. now that it's been, you know, decade plus, there's kind of craft beer has kind of become the thing. And I think maybe time for a follow-up, like song about Ooh. IPA, like IP a lot. <laughs> You know, actually, Rob, our singer, he's not a big IPA fan just because it kind of punches you in the face with all the hops and everything. But I like IPAs a lot. I love them. So if I just write the lyrics and give them to him, I can say, hey, you got to sing it because people will want it. So I can jump them into it. Maybe that'll work. Yeah, I think it's definitely time for a follow-up to to beer. Are you guys singing about any new music? I mean, Dew was was 18, but been a few years. Yeah, we actually have a number of ideas in our, what is it, the Google Sheets or whatever. We have this uh, Excel spreadsheet with all the information, of, you know, a little cell for lyrics and demos and how far along is it, you know, what's recorded and all that stuff. And we have many, many dozens of ideas. A lot of them are really bad, admittedly, <laughs> but uh, you got to, you know, throw enough darts until something works. But we have a bunch of songs that I'm excited about and... Um, I don't know which ones are actually going to get finished because sometimes you're excited about an idea and it's just not working. Right. So I hesitate to tell you too many topics about songs and then have people excited to hear it and then it never gets recorded. (laughs) But yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in the works for sure. Well, I'm I'm keeping my faith in you since you do like IPAs that we'll get an IPA song in there. Oh, I'm drawing a blank now. The the brewery, your hometown brewery out there in, uh, in the area. Ooh, Sierra Nevada. Okay. We have a great idea. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really into, like, the, the hazy style, the unfiltered New England style, they call oh. it, where it's like... Yeah, those are... I'm glad those are getting popular. Those are really good. Yeah, that's my favorite. There's a bunch of local breweries down here in Southern California. It's it's a massive, massive thing. And I always make the comparison that beer is kind of like... Or going to a brewery is kind of like an album. Like, you throw it on, you listen to different tracks, you try different beers, you know? Yeah. Like, when you go to the actual brewery and they have the... the what do they call them? Flight. The- Tasting rooms or something. Yeah, and then you have like a flight. You have like you know 
four or five different yeah. ones and you try them all out and sample it all out. That's the way to do it because when you find the one you really like out of a six or whatever it is, then you get a full beer of that. That way yeah. you're not like drinking a whole thing of something that's really absurdly tart if you're into that or whatever. Right. Yeah, I love the flavor. My favorite thing to do, listen to music and, and drink craft beer. It's like goes hand in hand. Speaking of music, I saw that you, I believe it was you, uh, did a top 10 favorite albums of the year. Yeah. Is that right? Was that you? I did. I saw that. You just posted it a couple days ago. I saw Baronets on there and I was really happy to see that because that whole record is awesome. Like they're doing really great things, so I was, I was happy to see that for sure. Yeah, I really love what Gina's her voice is kind of uh, brought to that band. You wouldn't think male female would always necessarily work, but what they're doing now, and I love I've loved the band since the Red album, but just yeah, yeah. It, it's really kind of brought in a different dichotomy mix in her voice in there. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really neat. I just appreciate where there's like growth, but the growth isn't just oh we're we're really tired and old now. We're just gonna be lazy. It's like we're going to take it in a new direction that's like fresh and interesting. So I think it's really a fun change. Yeah. And and almost a double album. I mean, it's like 17, yeah. 18 songs on that thing. So <laughs> I was super yeah, stoked. I had a double album before with, I think, uh, Yellow and Green, I guess. But, yeah. Um, I guess technically this wasn't a full double album. But yeah, it's a lot of songs. A lot of work. Do you have a favorite album of 2019? I was actually going through my own list. Um, favorite albums for the year and I'm thinking my favorite album of the year might be Defeater's self-titled. I don't know if you've listened to Defeater at all, but uh, they're a Boston hardcore band and each album is the story of a member of a family from, I guess, like New England and it's set in World War II era. Ah. It's super dark, but it's really interesting because they just take on like really heavy things like coming back from the war and like falling into addiction or whatever it might be but yeah their self-titled record it's, it's like the gambling record like somebody comes back from the war and they're like afflicted with uh, gambling addiction it's crazy man it's a really good album and I just saw them I guess a couple months ago in, in Chicago and they are killing it so they're doing great things so I'd probably say Defeater for sure Wow, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that's cool. Like a concept, you don't usually see you know, hardcore bands in, in concept records, but I think that's kind of cool. I like when different things like that happen. Yeah, yeah, they're they're great, man. Like every album is a little bit different stylistically and then lyrically also because it's the perspective of a, a new person. And they were actually joking for the new record. It was like, we're going to make it about the story of the dog, the family dog. <laughs> I thought that was really fun. <laughs> Let's have some more music fun, a little music game I like to play with everybody and kind of it's a roundabout way about getting your influences. Oh, cool, yeah. We, we remember the big four of, of metal a couple years ago. They pronounced it thrash metal was essentially defined by four bands, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. Yeah, right. It was those four. Right. And so they did a couple shows or whatever, and it got me thinking not necessarily about them, but just to kind of being a dumb radio DJ guy and, and liking to play games. Like if we if that's 80s thrash and that's kind of late 80s, right? What if we move into the early 90s? How would we define that? We'll add one to it for what I like to call the flannel five. <laughs> So not that it's a tour or anything that could happen, but just kind of a way to define that era. And of course, it would be Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. And I'm curious, out of those five, who would be your numero uno? Who's your favorite out of the flannel five? 
I would totally pick Nirvana because a couple different reasons. The music, obviously, uh, it really influenced me as a, as a kid growing up on it and everything. But the first album I ever purchased was In Utero in 93, I believe. I don't think I got it in 93, but a couple years after that, when I started getting really into music, that was the first CD I ever purchased. I would say out of those ones, definitely Nirvana. Wow. And then what would, what would your tune be? Pick a tune, to Nirvana tune to play on the radio. Would it be something off of In Utero? Um... Yeah. Uh, Apprentice. That would probably be my uh that's probably my favorite song by them. Just because the drums are just so he was a like I don't know, I just love the sound of that one. I bet it sounded really cool to the radio. Pick a uh, and then pick one of the, the the more radio tunes that you hear from him. Obviously smells like King Spirit, but he's, everybody's heard that song a million times. So probably Heart Shaped Box. Like that's a great song, man. There we go. Okay, killer. And then one more of the uh, evolution, right? So if that covers the early nineties mm-hmm. We'll move it to more late 90s and dip our toes into the early 2000s as well for Make It Six, the new metal six-pack. So this is going to be <laughs> Rage Against the Machine, Corn, Linkin Park, Slipknot, Disturbed, System of a Down. So I'm picking my number one out of those? Yeah. Slipknot, for sure. Tell me why, tell me like why. That- Okay, so um, when I was first getting into, like, really heavy stuff, uh, that was the band that kind of introduced me to, like, blast beats and really crazy double bass and all that stuff. Like, the first, the self-titled record, I heard that, I'm like, you can do that on drums? <laughs> <laughs> so that album blew me away. Like, I, it was 99, man. Like, I was just started going to concerts. But like I said, the first time I saw Primus, when I saw all those other bands and everything, I had never heard anybody that sounded, you know, sonically that aggressive. And I'm looking at the lyrics like, are you allowed to say that? You know, <laughs> just over the top. And then I saw them the next year. Like I said, with, uh, with Flair in 2000, I saw Slipknot and Flair and then a bunch of other bands too. And uh, that had a big, big influence on me because it introduced me, it like brought the walls down. I realized, yes, it is possible to be something like that. And then this whole world of all these different, you know, hardcore bands and metal bands and death metal and grindcore, like all these genres I had no idea about. Suddenly they were, you know, I was open to it. I was, you know, not quite prepared for the craziest stuff in the world, but I was much more open to the idea of just doing something that's really, really aggressive. So... For me, that just changed everything hearing them for the first time. They were your your awesome. your, gate, your gateway band, essentially. Totally, yeah. They were for that style. Yes, they were absolutely a gateway for me. And being a drummer, how do we? What do we think about Jay? Have you heard the new album? I think they give him a little bit more uh, uh, freedom on the new album as compared to the first album. You know, letting him spread his wings a little bit more in this new album. The new drummer, Jay yeah. Weinberg. Yeah, no, he's great. Uh, on the last record, like, I like his stuff, but it felt a little bit stifled. I mean, sorry yeah. if anyone's a good fan of the record. Like, they're good songs, but uh, drumming-wise, it felt a little bit like they told him, like, all right, this is what you're going to do here, this is what you're going to do here. And I don't know if that was a producer choice, or if he purposely did that. You know, I, I don't know the details behind it. But the new record, I feel like he's a little more experimental. It's just, it's fun to listen to. It's, like, fun to hear how he's playing and um, I don't know if you've heard the story about how he got in the group but as I understand it his father introduced him to the band when they were playing on 
one of those late night shows that his, his father was playing drums for. I forget which late night show, but Letterman Conan or something. Letterman, I think. It was Letterman. Okay, yeah. So he introduced him to the band, and after that, he became a fan as a kid, and then he grew up listening to it, and now he's in the band. Right. So he's doing it in a faithful way because he loves the music. It's not just a gig for him. It's like, this is a dream come true for that guy. So yeah. it's really cool to see him writing parts that are appropriate for the music because he's obviously a big fan, but also putting his own little sprinkles on it, too. So it's an exciting evolution of the group, for sure. But in reality, if Joey came back tomorrow, you'd be thrilled, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I love Joey's playing. It's so fast and fun. And we did a cover, not a cover, a parody of Give Things or Die. It's the, uh, it was like a B-side on, I think it was, yeah, I think it was the first record. It's like this crazy thrash song, but it has really crazy, you know, blast beats and whatnot. So learning that song, I was listening to it on headphones and trying to play along to it. And I could get all the way up to the very last part where it's just blast beats toward the end. Mm-hmm. And the tempo is just up and down and up and down. It's crazy. <laughs> like, Joey's playing is fantastic, but he, he just takes off at the end of that song. It's like so, sorry, I'm trying not to use that word. <laughs> so incredibly fast that I couldn't even keep up with that at first. I had to like really work on it for several weeks to finally record it. So. Yeah, hell of a drummer yeah. and, and hell of a songwriter too, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wrote a song for the Roadrunner. I forget what they called it, but Roadrunner Records. United. The Slipknot song. Yeah, yeah, that one. Like he did a song on there that's really cool. Like a, I think I'm pretty sure Joey wrote it. So great song. Yeah, they had like the team captains, and everyone wrote like four songs and got to have whoever they wanted play on them. I love that album and that little DVD that came with it, telling the whole story. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about the DVD. It's so cool. It's so good. I love that DVD because you do see Joey go in. You just see him walk into a room, put on some headphones, and just play some blast beats and go off for like two minutes on the drum set and then just puts down the sticks and walks away like, oh, yeah, nothing. He's just like, eh, I've got to do something real quick. Just give me a sec. (laughs) Worth watching again. Well, dude, Alex, it's been so much fun rapping with you today. Dude, you rock. Thanks for checking out the entire podcast. Now just hit the subscribe button. That way you get it sent to you directly. And follow me on social media at MikeZ967. Don't miss the radio show, bro. Wired in the Empire happens every Saturday night at midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks online at KCALFM.com. Adios.